0: And welcome to a new episode of plant services tool belt podcast. I'm Tom Wilk, the chief editor of plant services. And for today's episode, we've been noticing that in the past year and a year and a half, one of the hottest topics in the mind of MRO professionals has been how to add remote asset condition monitoring into the daily maintenance work mix. So for this episode, I spoke with Tim White, CMRP. He's a senior manager at TA Cook, who is focused on providing services related to digital asset performance management and he's gonna share some thoughts with us on why industry is renewing its focus on condition monitoring and on digitalization. Well, yeah, uh, thanks for being with us today, Tim. What trends are you seeing in industrial digitalization? And would you say especially, are these the same for small to medium facilities as for larger
1: facilities? Um, So let's start with the question on trends that we're seeing. Okay. And, and, you know, specifically this year, what I've been running into is companies that either A, made the leap a few years ago and heavily invested. And when I say heavily invested, I mean like nine-digit type investments, big, big. They went they went full, full, full bore. Wow. The other folks were the, the, the guys on the fence. And they were like, well, I'm going to sit back and... I want to see how this goes and let everybody else work out the problems, which arguably was a, a good or a bad decision, right? Um, bad from the case that they're going to be playing catch-up mm. and, and trying to uh, get to a level where their competitors are. Their competitors who made the leap, even though they might have had some, uh, some things to, that they had to work through, some difficulties – they probably learned a lot more and um, understand what they're doing a lot better. So <clears throat> things that um, that I see really is, and, and you kind of mentioned this in one of your emails, is um, you know a lot of push for the condition monitoring space, right? So I'm going to speak only towards, I'm going to speak specific to asset management, okay? Okay. Um, and <clears throat> so we have a lot of people wanting to get on board with that. Um, the driver seems to always be how can I reduce the personnel that I have now how can I start automating some of this because they have a, a lot of manual processes a lot of a lot of uh, things that they're doing that require you know human labor if you will um, so in a need to cut back um, on costs they see this uh, this, these digitalization efforts as a way to to reduce staffing that they for requirements um, and not necessarily they're going to just cut all their staff uh, but it gives them a vehicle mostly through the attrition process mm. that they can you know slowly let positions go away as they mature with their digitalization. Okay. The other thing is is <clears throat> a lot of folks have started messing with data a lot. And they, maybe they got themselves to a point where, um, okay, I've, I'm collecting a whole bunch of information. And I hear people come to me and go, well, okay, I've got all this data coming in, but I have no idea what to do with it. So <laughs> they took step one and never continued on. And they're trying to figure out, okay, now where's all this value that everybody keeps telling me I'm going to get? I don't know what to do. Um, but the other piece is, is maybe they've kind of made a first step and from a manual or say batch type process, they're getting these things that they're calling back data or downloading segments of data into like some kind of spreadsheet format and are paying people to sit there and try to go through and and, and analyze this and try to find information and, and stuff like that, which is um is uh not real uh, not really efficient if you will so they're looking to say okay how can I how can I automate this more? How can I find information easier? Right. So those two things are probably what I get t- asked about or talked to about the most. Okay. Do you see any patterns and with those trends
0: breaking out between the smaller to medium-sized facilities where, you know, your your average maintenance team might wear multiple hats versus larger facilities that can afford more specialized positions?
1: So yeah, that was part two of your question, wasn't it? So. <laughs> <laughs> um i would say that if a small company makes a decision to do something they tend to go a a step further than maybe the larger companies do just because of the fact they don't have staff in the first place okay um larger companies tend to dip their toe into things and then pay people to to try to do something with what they have and i don't know sometimes that that uh um, journey where they fall into the valley of despair tends to last a little longer, if you will. Um, right. Just because of the fact that they do have resources and then it's, it's hard to, to get them to come back out from that. But usually um, a good um, roadmap that gets laid out for them and, and, and a successful uh, call it proof of value, if you will, where they can really see how things go. And then they get that big aha moment and then they charge forward again, right? Right. Okay. Well, we'll go on to question number
0: two. We'll we'll get back to your your thoughts on condition monitoring and also automation. Um, But I was curious to talk, hear your thoughts on um, benchmarking for plants. Uh, A lot of the things that we hear from our readers are that they sometimes don't know where to start. and so usually the first place to start is some benchmarking exercise of some kind. Can you talk about some of the benefits that you've seen plants experience when they do undergo a digital, either a digital maturity assessment or some other similar kind of
1: benchmarking when they're about to make these kind of moves? So this is back to, I have all this data and I don't know what to do with it. Right. And uh, um, so, and and actually, I mean, we deliver maturity assessments as well as as an offering. Um, So, you know, when I lead those efforts, uh, usually they're looking to make a step forward, but like you said, okay, I don't understand where I'm at, and what I need to do to, to you know, progress further or develop further within within this uh, maturity. So one of the things that we do is we will rank people on a one to six scale, but it's not it's different because it's not against their peers, right? It's really against what that development path should look like from the first steps of what we call computerization, right? Where we just gather information and we have it um, all together, but many times still in isolation, right? So maybe they have several different applications, but they're still very siloed or, or isolated all the way up through our level six, which we call adaptability, which is now we're making autonomous decisions and, and, Taking actions of, at some level automatically, right? So, um, we, we rank them against that, that development path. And that is good because they, they get to see, okay, well, this is really how far we've come on our journey. But the other thing when we do those assessments is it gives us a chance to really dive into the systems that they have. So, you know, we, we tend to, uh, look at not only you know their information systems and the data quality and things like this that they have in place, but also, you know, what do they have for resources? Um and what I mean by resources is, you know, sensor technology, the competencies, the um, um ability to process data, right? That those types of resources. Um, but then again, also the organizational structure, how is their culture, or is their culture ready to accept, you know, this, this change or this, this initiative and, you know, where is that at? So it gives them a good snapshot. But then, like I was saying, we dive deep into the systems that they have and we can really look at uh, where they're at and, and be able to assess gaps with what they put in place already or where we need to go to make that next step. So a lot of times you end up finding out that there ends up being a system selection process you end up having to go through because maybe they need something to to perform some more advanced analytics rather than the people sitting behind the desk. Or maybe, maybe they don't even have uh, a way to consume, OT data, right? So you said you were gonna get into this, but um, <clears throat> when you start looking at an industrial control systems and the data and, and the things, those are the things I play with the most. Um, a lot of times you've, you run into people that don't even have a system or a historian it's usually called to even consume that kind of data. And um, so, you know, you, you see all facets. Yeah, so the, the good part is is getting a good snapshot of where are we at, and when when you decide where it is we're trying to get to, being able to build that roadmap form and, and lay out the the steps that need to be taken care of.
0: Okay, well, it sounds like those kind of efforts can make a difference in whether you would recommend to a plant team to pursue either limited data collection based on a single problem or whether more of a data lake approach uh, would be yeah. to their Best interest and best benefit.
1: So, yeah, this this is always a. It, it, this, I wish there was a simple answer for all this, right? Right, right. Okay. So, I mean, really, what we need to look at is if if you if you talk about you know limited uh, storage or uh, data consumption, I mean, there's there's pros and cons to all this. Um, If you go with that limited data approach, now what you're forced to do is in the beginning, when you probably don't even know where you want to end up at, you've got to define it. Mm -hmm. And so usually what you will find is you defined it incorrectly. You thought you knew where you wanted to go, but as you, as you start down that path, you learn more. Mm -hmm. And you go, oh, wow, if I had this or if I had that, you know, and and a great example and uh, not endorsing any particular system or whatever. But, uh, you know, a lot of times companies that have this historians, they like to charge you by the tag. Right. So if I have 100,000 tags that I want to collect, Mm -hmm. I say, okay, I'm going to buy a license that allows me to collect 100,000 tags. And then I start learning with, with it and find out, oh, there's more stuff I want to do. But Now I can't collect the data because my license is only for 100000 You know, that's pretty expensive. I don't really want to expand that. So what can I get rid of so I can add this other new stuff that I'm thinking is pretty cool? And you start this juggling game. And, um, you know, the flip side of that would be a license that has an unlimited count of tags. and, And usually they'll refer to these as like Licenses or something like that gives me more flexibility. And I'm a big advocate, and a lot of people argue me, I'm a big advocate when we start collecting OT data, grab it all. Right? And before, because I don't I know what kind of where I want to go, but until my until my analysts and my data scientists and all those guys get to work at it, if we start from our engineering side start looking at hey, what can we do with it? You find there's a lot of that data that if I was, if I had to make the decision up front, I wouldn't have collected it. But now that I've got it, Oh, Hey, look what I can do with that. Right. And then someone else from the business goes, Hey, by the way, are you collecting this? Or we just had a mishap and I need to know what the sequence is that the control board operator did. Right. And, and, and so, you know, these are basically, uh, on, off, open, close type commands, you know, that are binary that most people go, oh, we don't need that, right? And so suddenly somebody's knee deep into an investigation and I can suddenly produce that and it it brings value to the organization. So that was a really long, big circle to talk about limited data. Mm -hmm. Data lakes, now we're talking two or more systems and, um, you know, the, the the downside to it is, you know, there's little to no governance around the data that's being collected. You know, so it's kind of like a, a here it is, but use it at your own risk, if you will. Um, the, uh, the other thing is that when you want to go to use it, now you've got to process it, clean it up, make it to where I can do something. So that's the downside. The upside is, if I don't know what I wanna do and back to my comment, grab it all, and I've got multiple systems and I want it in a single storage uh, place, if you will. Um, now I've got a really inexpensive way to do it, right? So if I decide, you know, for example, uh, Amazon Web Services or AWS, uh, they're gonna charge me two cents a gigabyte. It's pretty cheap. Mm-hmm. You know, and then when it starts to become really old data and I say, well, let's archive that. I only need the last five years. Now they're only going to charge me like a tenth of a cent per gigabyte. Right. So now now I got cheap storage. I don't need a lot of processing to to get that data. And it's available when I figure out what I want to do.
0: Right.
1: When we set up monitoring programs, a lot of times we end up using data from more than one system this becomes a benefit many times, right? So let's say a client has uh, an MES for uh, uh, scheduling and controlling all their manufacturing. And then let's say they have uh, certain information within their maintenance system that I want to use. And then we have all the control system data that's coming in and I'm using all of this address different things about an asset that i want to monitor um now suddenly it's all available and it's very easy to get to if i have siloed areas now i'm building things like apis in order to go grab data and try to do something with it potentially taxing the other system right Mm -hmm. and affecting its performance maybe maybe not you know just depending on what you're trying to do as opposed to having everything residing albeit maybe you know uh, not very cleansed information but i can i could do something with it and many times i mean there's plenty of programs out there where i can i can set the rules to clean and structure the data once and then i never have to do it again um so you know there's some benefits on that side so what do i think i think it depends on where the customer's trying to go Right. And if are trying to grow slowly, maybe there's a, an approach that fits if, you know, a lot of times you find a lot of these things are already in place because somewhere somebody told them to go do it. And so they did maybe even blindly. But as part of it, it goes back to the assessment piece you asked me about. Right. We may find these things are there. These things are available. Now, what's the next step to, to, to make use of that and bring some value back to them?
0: Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, That depends on the the strategy the company charts out and that sometimes that strategy, I'll be frank, a lot of companies don't have the internal resources, even if they do have, say, a dedicated reliability engineer to work on that. That engineer may want to partner up with someone who's been through this before to figure out what the right steps to take would be.
1: Yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, And quite honestly, it's not just a reliability engineer that's going to be doing it. One of the things that that gets really important here and and I hear the biggest complaints about, ironically, is you're going to have to partner with other folks within your organization, right? Because you as the reliability engineer, or if you have an asset management department, or even it's just a maintenance department, um, you're customarily probably used to working in a silo anyway, apart from the rest of the business. And now you're suddenly going to need a lot of help. Um, and, you know, uh, you, I could joke about, you know, how everybody always says, oh, IT, you know, they're, no, no one's IT department's any good. Have you ever noticed that? <laughs> um,
0: Funny how that works, yeah. <laughs> yeah,
1: but the reality is, and, you know, even before I was at TA Cook, when I worked in industry and and I owned these platforms and owned the asset management department globally, um, you know, one of the things that I think paid the most benefits for us right at the very beginning and you know it started out with uh with my CEO saying Tim I want you I want you to bring me the, the digital plant I had no idea what that even meant right and 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 in what context do you want me to do this and
0: right.
1: you know, we had to figure it out. So so you know talking with a lot of people this is where we got the idea this has been several years back but hey why don't we go after the the control system data first, because we already have it and figure out what we can do with it. And then let's close the gaps as we mature, right? And, and you know, this is where the IIoT stuff comes in where you start looking for additional sensors mm-hmm. and those additional sensors, you look for the, the, the business case or the cost uh, cost and slash value proposition, if you will, of adding this and what it's going to get me, right? So we started with the industrial control system data. Well, I knew I'm going to need help from IT on this. Mm-hmm. So I go upstairs to our IT floor and, and uh, sat down with our uh, director of communications and security. Good friend of mine. I'd gotten to know over the years. I said, Rob, I said, I got this crazy idea and I need to know if we can do it. And, and if so, how do we approach it and do it? And so I laid off this whole idea and he says, yeah, sure. He got on his whiteboard in his office and we started talking about different things and, and but doing that up front gained complete buy-in
0: mm-hmm. and
1: we had the entire support from the IT department to help us on, their, on, on our initiative because we went to them first. And said, what are the rules of IT, right? And and what do we need to make sure that we do? Because I'm about to take a whole bunch of isolated systems that control all our assets. Um, and and I want to hook it up to the business network, right? And usually that's what makes everybody cringe, right? So the IT right. guys, the OT guys, and vice versa. And, and then you start finding out you got satellite IT systems because some manager got tired of waiting and, and fighting and he just went and bought his own server and stuck it in the closet and didn't tell nobody, you know, and and, and that's how colonial pipelines get shut down. Right. Right. <laughs> even, though, even though their production wasn't actually under attack, that was a uh, more of a, a, a proactive approach to safeguarding that. But um, you know, <laughs> that's a whole nother piece, right? Is the whole cybersecurity that you got to make sure uh that is in place and, and rigid enough. And and so, you know, it, it's important that as you progress and you start to set systems in, bring in a third party, look at my security, try mm-hmm. to hack it. Can you take over this reactor? Can you do you know, whatever in that process? And and get those things checked up front um, so you don't end up because, you know, it's, that whole thing with uh, the pipeline was ransomware. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know how familiar you are with that stuff, but ransomware gets into your organization usually one of two ways. And that is some dummy clicked on something in an email they had no business clicking on, or their passwords were probably so simple that someone was able to figure it out. You know, when your password is password, that's probably not a good thing, right? Right. So right. Um, that's the scarier thing about that whole incident we just had. <laughs> I
0: was at a session one time at a frontliner maintenance conference the Noria Show Reliable Plant, and it was a session on cyber. <clears throat> the speaker said, raise your hand if you've had experience being attacked, and easily one-third of the hands went up. And those, this is about two years ago now, three years ago. And that was the one third of the folks who thought they could put their hands up and not get any put you know, any liability from it. So yeah, there there were some folks in there who were sort of independent uh and, and they said uh they had to rebuild their server in a couple of cases and, and uh and yeah, like you said, it was the, the common vector is that sort of phishing attack. Yeah. Or or simple passwords.
1: Yeah. Well this all comes this all comes back to where I was beginning. And that's why the IT folks get upset and maybe even seem non-cooperative, right? Because this right. is what they're worried about. But if you ask them, what are the rules what, what, what are the rules to the game? And what do we need to make sure we do? And will you help me achieve this over here? And I sat on a panel at, a, at a, a fairly large conference, and the only thing I heard from everybody was, you know, the the conflicts between IT and OT and, and, and all this. And when I, I got asked a question about, I don't know, whatever it is they were talking about, that specific thing, I just looked at them and said, Guys, I can't even comment because I don't have this problem. But I didn't realize the effect of all that until I sat on that panel. And I was like, wow, this is probably what I mitigated by going to them first because I don't have this frustration I'm hearing from everybody in this room.
0: Wow. Well, and that's a point I want to bring out in this interview front and center, which is the, the, the benefit of your of that strategy. And as you say, you didn't even know the size of the benefit at the time when you were talking to IT.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's right. Okay. Let, let me ask this last question. It's on the list. Um, I, I, I feel we get to a lot of really important stuff, but we'll ask this one anyway. Um, it's about automation and about EH&S. And this may be a simple yes or no, Tim. Uh, you know, survey last January from Honeywell found that more than half of U.S. companies were, quote, planning to increase automation investments due to COVID-19. A survey that we did with our readers on Planned Services found that their greatest perceived need was a strong or stronger eh program. Now, these aren't mutually exclusive. I'm just curious to know what are you seeing on the ground of either of these trends becoming realities?
1: I think I think it's yes on both counts, and it depends on the client, right? So. There's two things two things at play here. One is there are people wanting, and I, I don't know if I would call it automation as much as I would the condition monitoring piece, right? So right. even even people that have very mature, call it predictive maintenance programs, if you will, they're more on the traditional uh, uh, human route-based periodic data collection, right? And And everybody's hearing about how you can, you can bring this stuff online. And and really the biggest thing too, is the cost factors drop so much. Mm. Um, Where I can remember in the early two thousands, it was almost unheard of to spend the money for online vibration monitoring as an example. Um, It was just, it was, it, it better be a critical piece of equipment like, like a, like a a turbine in a power plant. Right. Right. High critical, high cost, big consequences of failure. Or of self-destruction, right? It'd be a, a bad day for them. Um, now it's it's not that big a deal, right? Mm-hmm. The cost is so greatly reduced. I mean, I've outfitted entire control systems and and the assets that go with it for less than what I might have instrumented a, a a turbine for twenty years ago. So. Um, that's one thing that drives people to do that. They know their competitors are doing it. You know, uh, senior leadership within companies knows the senior leadership in all the other companies. And they talk, I can tell you that from experience and we call it professional courtesy. <laughs> and, uh, um, you know, you, you you understand what the other guys are doing, and what happens is is, is a lot of times out of fear they want to catch up. So um, those I wouldn't necessarily call those companies the leaders; <laughs> they're more the followers. But they're out of necessity they're they're trying to move forward. Um, so the condition monitoring piece, uh, yes, we see that. But it's funny that you mentioned the EHS stuff, and and the, and not funny, haha, but it's it's ironic because we've had other companies that when you talk about EHS, it's the E they're worried about, the environmental, not necessarily health, safety, you know, in, in relation to personnel safety. I, I mean, I think for the most part, most companies got that figured out, maybe uh, from a process safety or PSM perspective approach. Maybe, you know, they want some improvements around those areas. But what I find, it's more the E than anything, right? So I don't know if you've heard kind of growing over the last couple of years, but companies are starting to get assigned ESG scores. It's almost like a a, a KPI that the general public is holding these companies accountable to, right? So the ESG is, it's environmental impact social impact in the government, go- governance of the company, right? So what are their policies? And, and on the environmental side, obviously, it's all about what your carbon footprint look like, um, you know, how much of the product you make is reusable or your packaging is reusable, right? And so it makes them environmentally friendly. I think uh, a lot of companies are very concerned about their environmental impact now. And and are moving down the path of trying to make sure that that's as reduced as possible with where we're at with technology and what we can actually do today for that. So that's where I think the e the, the EHS stuff is coming from. All right, when we talk. We were we work with a, a huge mining uh, conglomerate, and I know that when. Um, we were starting to look at operator care or precision maintenance practices within their facilities. Um, You know, and and we're talking about basic things, but just on belt slip alone on some of their larger pieces of equipment, uh, we had determined an enormous savings that we could make across one facility and literally give them uh, a spare piece of equipment just by resolving something as simple as belt slip. But then the thing that was really, really interesting is when we said, and here is what you would reduce your carbon footprint by, by doing this. And it amazed me how interested they were in that.
0: Interesting.
1: Nothing to do with dollars yet today, right? Nothing right. To do with dollars, but it had to do with just the amount of carbon that, Carbon emissions that they would have had from their production.
0: Okay,
1: and now you could argue one day it might cost them because if the idea of buying off your carbon credits, um, you know, becomes a reality, some companies are going to miserably fail and it's going to cost them a lot of money. Mm-hmm.
0: And the companies
1: that are really really good are going to be the ones selling it. They're going to find another revenue stream, right? So, <laughs> but yeah. Um, that's just, that was one example of, of where I've seen that and, and how they laser focused right in on that.